Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. Riverside Church is a community of believers striving side-by-side for the gospel in the greater New Orleans area. For more information about Riverside Church, go to riversidelife.org. Thank you for being here, uh, and, and, and the, the, the Lord has a word for us, right? Amen. Every time this Bible is opened, every time this Bible is preached, every time that, uh, that we, we open the word of God, God has something for us. Amen. What, now, now, whether that's, whether that's you're sitting out there um, or, and, and you're listening and taking notes, hopefully, or, 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 or thinking about, hey, how, this, how can this apply to my life? Or whether it's me up here, I'm preaching, and oftentimes as I'm preaching, God convicts me about something or grabs a hold of me about something and, 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 and speaks to me about something. So I'm so glad that we are able to look at this Word of God together. And thank, thank the Lord that He is, that he is it, 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 this has nothing to do with the sermon, but I, I'm just, I'm, I'm just re, sometimes we just have to stop and pause. Because if you know the history of how this came together and how God orchestrated that through time, man, it'll just give you a new appreciation for the Word of God. The Word of God, we believe, is inerrant. It is, it, it is, it is, it, it is without error. It is, it is used for reproof, correction in our lives and for teaching, and for, for every good thing that, 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 that can possibly come into our lives, this Word of God, He has preserved it for us throughout time. And so, Lord, we thank You for Your preserv- preserving work in this, in this Word. And so I, I just want to pause and say that just because I think sometimes we, we take this Word and we take it for granted a lot of times. And, 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 you know, we can treat it like a normal book, but sometimes we need to be reminded, amen? Sometimes we need to be reminded that this book is, is, is God's very word and how God chooses to reveal himself to us. And so as we look at it this morning, I want you to, to take your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. We're continuing our study in Galatians we are almost here at the end. I, think, I believe we have one more Sunday after this of, of studying Galatians, and then we'll start a new sermon series uh, for, the, for, for the summer. But we've been looking at this, uh, uh, at this kind of theme over Galatians that Jesus plus nothing equals everything, right? And, 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 and we, we've talked about the, the background of why Paul is writing this uh, letter to the, the church in Galatia is that they, there's these Judaizers that are coming in and saying, look, you have Christ, that's well and good, but you also need to do X, Y, and Z in order to be good with God. And Paul writes to the Galatian church and he says, no, that's not the case. If you have Christ, you have everything. If you have Christ... You have everything. And so we get to the point in the letter when we talked about uh, in chapter 5 uh, how the Holy Spirit works through us and how we walk in a, in a life that is led by the Spirit. But now we're going to put some, so the, to, to some feet to this today. We're going to see how the rubber meets the road, how we practically use this in our context in the local church. So Galatians chapter 6 is where we're going to be at this morning. We're going to read the passage of Scripture. We're going to unpack it. Just five verses. 
just five verses this morning, and uh, we're going to unpack it and pray that my voice holds up uh, throughout the sermon because I'm, I'm struggling right now. It says this, Paul writes this, he says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in, in, in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks that he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. You see, God has given a gift to each one of us as believers. Each individual believer, he has given a great and awesome gift to us. And you know what that gift is? I mean, he gives us so many gifts. He gives us himself. He gives us access to the Father. He gives us uh, uh, forgiveness of sins. He gives us the promise and the hope of, of an eternal future of heaven. But one of the, the most amazing gifts that God has given us is sitting right here in this room. Each other. Look around. This is the church. God has given the church to us as individual believers. And that's sometimes hard to grasp in our culture and in our, in our mind frame today because we like to think of the, our relationship with God in an individualistic mindset, don't we? Sometimes we, th- we talk about our personal relationship with God or our private relationship with God. And that's well, and that's good, and amen, and praise God for that, that my God is so intimate and personal that he wants to have a private, personal relationship with me. But if we stop at the personal, private relationship, part of, of our relationship with God, we are missing such a huge blessing. You see, because not only does God want us to have a private, personal relationship with him, but he wants us to relate to him corporately as the body of believers, as the church. He wants us to relate to him specifically in our context as Riverside Church relating to God. And sometimes we, we don't often think about those, that kind of mindset and that, and that mind frame when we think about our relationship with God. But Paul, he brings this out. He draws this out, this living by the Spirit, and he draws this application out into the context of corporate living within the church. You see, see it's, it's often said that the church is not the building. You've heard this before? Have you heard this before? The church is not the building. Like you say, where are you going on Sunday? I'm going to the church, right? And, and, and then somebody that's really, really smart Alex says, oh, you're not going to the church. You are the church, right? And that is right, right? The people are the church of God. The gathered people are the church of God. But if we stop right there, I still don't think that that is a very uh, 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 absolute definition of what the church is. The church is not only the gathered people. We gather once a week, right, on Sundays. But the church is not only the gathered people of God. The church is a life, a living community whose goal is to strive side by side for the gospel of Jesus Christ and to see to it that each other, each other, look around, Each other, these people in this room and some people that are not here today. 
but that each other progresses in our relationship and our maturity with Jesus Christ. And we make sure that each other grows in holiness and right living, right? You see, we have the responsibility to just, to, to, to more than just a personal relationship with God. And uh, am I okay with God? We have the personal, we have the personal responsibility to make sure that our church members, that we as a unit are walking in step with the Spirit. Am I making sense to you yet this morning? No? <laughs> Can I get an amen or something? Am I making sense at all? Thank you. Okay, awesome, great. I need feedback. <laughs> so the New Testament writers are really big on this. And they give commands and they give um, uh, these uh, encouragements and exhortations about the church. And they give what I call the one another commands. You ever, you ever, you ever hear about the one another commands? Here are just a few examples of it. Jesus says himself, let's start with Jesus. Jesus says himself in John chapter 13, when he talks about the church, he's talking about believers, he's talking to his disciples, and he says to them, love one another, okay, love one another. Another command in the New Testament is welcome one another, talking about the context of the church, the context of believers to believers. Welcome one another, care for one another, agree with one another, be kind to one another, forgive one another. That's one that my two smallest children love to quote all the time. They have this little song that they sing, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And they sing it, but they sing it sometimes with an angry tone. And I'm like, well, you're, you're, kind, of, uh, <laughs> you're kind of contradicting the statement there whenever you sing it with an angry tone. But they say, be kind to one another uh, and forgive one another. That's straight from Scripture. Another command is this, teach one another, do good to one another, confess to one another, show hospitality to one another, and a whole bunch of other commands, one another commands in the New Testament. And we run into one of these here in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, and I want to look at it real quick. Because in our, in our pericope here, in verses 1 through 5, in our passage, this is the main point. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and give you the main point right up front. This is the main point in verse 2. Everybody look at it with me, okay? Um, verse 2, it says, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. There's this uh, overarching goal that Paul is trying to hit when he's writing to the Galatians here. And the goal is this, fulfill the law of Christ. That's what he's trying to get at. Fulfill the law of Christ. So, what is the law of Christ? You know, Paul has, has mentioned the law several times throughout this book. And if, if you've got your Bibles handy, turn to John chapter 13. And we're going to look there real quick. Verses 34 and 35. And we're going to see what it means when we say law of Christ. Now, Paul, like I said, he mentions this throughout Galatians. He talks about the law of works. He talks about the law of the flesh. And then he talks about the law of grace. He talks about, he talks about the law of love and love, the law of liberty. And now he's saying the law of Christ. What does this law of Christ mean? Let's read here in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Jesus tells straight up his disciples what the law of Christ is, what his commandment is. He says to his disciples, Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, 
that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. In two verses, he manages to say it three times. Love one another. Love one another. Have love for one another. And this is what the law of Christ is. Loving one another. And Paul takes it, steps it further. He fleshes this out a little bit. And he says, okay, the way to love one another and the way to fulfill the law of Christ is, look at verse 2 of Galatians chapter 6 again. It says, uh, he says, the way to flesh this out, the way to put meat to these bones of loving one another is to bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens. <clears throat> And that word bear means to come up under a load and hold up weight. Okay, we all know what bear means, right? Especially when you, you've helped somebody move. How many of you helped somebody move before? All right, so you help somebody move and, and you got two or three people, two, maybe two people in this big dresser. Okay, I, within the past, what, uh, uh, we've been married for 13 years, all right? I knew that. I was just testing her, all right? <laughs> We've been married for 13 years, all right? We've moved, I think, 13 times in 13 years, all right? We've moved quite a lot. And, uh, and my grandmother, she, she loved us and she loved me and she left me, uh, uh, this, uh, this big, uh, solid dresser. And I love, I loved her to death. She's going to be with the Lord now. But this dang thing is heavy. <laughs> And to move it 13 times is not an easy task. But if you're moving it with another person, you know whether or not the person on the other side of the dresser is actually bearing his load. And sometimes moving that dresser, my, with my brother, if my brother's listening or watching right now, you didn't, you didn't do your job and bear the load because you could feel it on the other side. It's not really helping very much, right? You could, you feel that. Or whenever I get my kids to help me move something, I get them to grab one side of it and you can tell they're not doing a thing, right? I'm, I'm, I'm bearing the complete load. That is not what bearing means. Bearing means get up under the thing and push it up. Help them, right? Help them. And so when I'm straining to get that dresser drawer and I'm screaming at my brother who's helping me, so graciously helping me move all 13 times, I think. All right. So I, I say, do your work. <laughs> right. Right. Do your work. Lift up. Help bear some of the load. And this is what Paul is talking about. He says, help your brother, help your sister bear the burdens. So what are some of the burdens that we bear in life? Well, some of them are very obvious, aren't they? Some are very, are, 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 are very, uh, uh, just out there. You can see them. But then some of them, and some of us, are really good about masking and hiding the burdens that we bear, right? Well, some of them could be unemployment, right? That's a, that's a, that's a hard burden to bear. Very hard, especially in our booming economy right now. That's a, that's a, that's a very hard burden to bear. Is, un, is unemployment, financial struggles, sickness, right? Sickness, maybe long-term sickness. Somebody's been struggling with cancer for a long time. That is a burden to bear, right? Loneliness, 
grief. We just finished our grief share, and we have a few people from our grief share uh, here, and I'm so glad you guys got to come. Um, uh, but uh, you would be surprised about how many people just in our immediate community is dealing hard with the burden of grief from loss of a loved one. These are burdens that we bear. And Paul's saying, look, you need to come up under, under your brother and sister. And you need to help them bear that burden. And guess what? Our church, with those kind of burdens, are, is really good about helping a bear. I have seen in, in our church, in Riverside, in the years that I've been here, I have seen firsthand burdens being helped. I mean, burdens sharing the load of the burden. I have seen people who have been struggling with anxiety and depression and people in the church, not just leaders, but people in the church coming up alongside of them and helping to, them to bear that burden. I've seen it in grief. Members lose a loved one, a close loved one, and church members come up beside them and help bear that burden. I've seen it. I've seen it with financial struggles. You know, somebody provides just wonderfully for someone who's going through a financially hard time with no expectation of payback and helping to bear that burden. I can tell, go, I can go on and on about the stories uh, about Riverside bearing burdens. But Paul gives another type of burden here in this particular passage that we're in, a particular text that we're in. And it seems like out of all the burdens that he could have chose, he chose the, the most one, right? The, most, the, the one that kind of does this. And we'll explain why in a second, but I want to see what this burden is. Look in chapter 6, verse 1. We're going to read it. We're going to talk about it. It says, brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. What is this burden? This burden is transgression. What is transgression? This burden is sin, right? Paul says, look, don't just come up near your neighbor or near your brother or sister to help them bear the burden of, of things that, that, that they fell on hard times. But come up and help your brother and sister bear the weight if they're struggling with transgression and sin in their life. Help them. Help them bear that burden. And this is where it kind of gets awkward, doesn't it? And messy and it can get ugly, right? Because sometimes when we see a brother or sister in sin and transgression and really something that they're not supposed to be in, but you know that it is detrimental to them and it is not healthy for them, sometimes it's kind of awkward, right, to have that conversation. And you don't really want to be the person. No one really wants to be the person to go up to that person and say, hey, look, I noticed that you're struggling with the sin in your life. I noticed that that, 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 that you're going through this sin in your life and it's not good and you need to repent of this sin. No one wants to be the person to confront because sometimes it can be a little ugly and it can be a little messy because we run the risk 
of looking judgmental? Are we look the, run the risk of looking holier than thou? Are we look the, run the risk of looking pharisaical, right? Like a Pharisee. But Paul says, look, this is something that you have to do. If you are a follower of Christ and you are a, 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 a member of the church, uh, the body of believers, and you see a brother or sister sinning and in, in sin, it's your duty. It is your obligation to approach them about it. Now, if Paul left us with this, that wouldn't be very helpful. But he gives a great description on how to approach a brother and sister in sin. And he gives a great uh, 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 encouragement for how to approach a brother and sister in sin. So we're going to go through it because I think this is going to be helpful for us. As we, as we uh, uh, think about this, contemplate this, and hopefully put it into practice more often in our lives. So I want to look at verse 1, and I want to kind of pick through it, okay? First of all, who does the approaching? That's the question that we have to ask. Who does the approaching? Let's look at verse 1 again. It says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And some of you might be uh, sitting there and saying, whew, sigh of relief, because what he's talking about when he says spiritual is those spiritually just super powerhouses in the church, leaders, pastors, you know, um, those those who, who have it all together um, spiritually. Uh, he's not talking about me. All right. Whew, thank God I don't have to confront a soul. Well, that's not right at all. <laughs> all right. Let's look at this context. What did Paul just come out of in chapter 5? Look at, look, look at chapter 5. Look at your Bibles at chapter 5, and specifically in verses 16 through 25. He encourages all the believers in the church in Galatia to walk by the Spirit, right? Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. He gives a list of spiritual fruit that not just leaders should be producing, not just Next level Christians should be producing, but that all believers should be producing, right? He gives this list of spiritual fruit. So what does Paul mean when he says, you who are spiritual, restore your brother or your sister? He's talking about those who are being led by the Spirit. He's talking about those who are walking in the Spirit. He's talking about those Christians all over the church. Now, don't get me wrong. You can be a Christian and a believer and at times not walk by the Spirit. You can exhibit signs of the flesh, right? And he gives these lists in chapter 5. And what Paul is saying, he says, look, those who walk, it's just like two categories of people. He's saying those who are walking by the Spirit exhibit these things, but those who are not walking by the Spirit are going to exhibit these things. And if you fall into this category over here and not walking by the Spirit, you are probably one of the ones who need to be restored. But if you are walking by the Spirit, you are the one that should be the restoring of your brothers and sisters. So who restores the, 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 the uh, the straying brother and sister? Well, all of us who walk by the Spirit, right? All of us who walk by the Spirit. 
And so I want to talk about the manner in, in which we confront people and the manner in which we approach people and their sin. I want to look again at verse 1. Verse 1 is full of just helpful, helpful things. He says this, brothers, if anyone is caught in a, caught in a, in a transgression, you who are spiritual, we, we already explained that. It's, it's those who are walking by the Spirit. You are spiritual, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So how should we, how, how should we approach this? You might think in your mind, okay, I know someone who's caught in sin. I know someone who is not living right. A believer claims to be a believer, claims to love God, claims to be a follower of Christ. I know they're in sin. How do I go about approaching them? How do I go about walking to them and restoring them? What does this process look like? You got to get the manner right. First of all, we do this. We approach the sinning believer in the spirit. He already said those who are spiritual, those who are walking by the spirit, those who are living by the spirit. You are the ones who restore your sinning brother or sinning sister to the fold, back to the fold of God. You do it by the spirit, right? How did we say, remember several weeks ago, we talked about living by the spirit. What is a mark of living by the Spirit? It is expressing complete and utter dependence on the Spirit of God, right? That you in, in and of yourself cannot do anything eternal. That if you're going to do something lasting, if you're going to do something eternal, it's going to be through, it's going to be by the Spirit of, of the living God, right? So the first thing that we need to do when confronting or um, approaching a believer in sin is that we need to pray to God and express our utter dependency on him and the fact that we know that we can't do a thing about our brother and sister sinning except bring them to Christ, except point them to the one who actually can restore them, right? And this is the way that God chooses to do it. He chooses to work through us, through the Spirit, so we first need to pray. And then the second thing is, he gives us a list. Look at this. In verse, in, in chapter 5, in verses, <clears throat> excuse me, 22 and 23, the fruits of the Spirit. He gives us a list of how to approach somebody with the Spirit. How to approach somebody who is caught in sin. How to approach somebody who's in transgression. The very, the very first fruit of the Spirit is what? Somebody name it. very first fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, right? Are we approaching, this is a question that you can ask yourself if you're approaching a believer in sin, are we doing it out of love? Or are we doing it out of malice? We need to get our hearts right and we need to say, okay, I'm approaching this person, but I'm not doing it off my high horse. I'm doing it. Through love. Through love. What's the next, what's the next fruit of the Spirit? Love what? Then joy, right? How in the world do you approach somebody who's dealing with sin? How do you approach them in joy? With the joy to know that God has offered a way of forgiveness and restoration. So we can approach a brother or sister that is in sin with the, 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 the joy that God has provided the way and that you're just simply pointing them to Christ. So we approach the sinning brother or sister 
with these fruits of spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. This is the manner in which we approach the, 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 the sinning believer. Second, this, the manner of confrontation, the manner in which we approach the sinning believer. With a spirit and expectation of gentle restoration. Now, this is a tough one sometimes. Have you ever known somebody who pointed out somebody else's sin? Or has anybody ever pointed out your sin, but you know it wasn't in a manner of restoration? <laughs> it was in a manner of condemnation or a manner of blaming or a manner of, 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 of harshness. And Paul says, no, that's not the way you approach people. You know, There's a story of a man that I knew very well. Um, who was uh, had a rocky marriage and ended up, it so happens, he was a minister in a church, ended up committing adultery um, with another woman. And being in a small community, word traveled around quick. And pretty much every member of that church, this is about 100 members, Pretty much every member of that church knew what was going on. He was a minister in the church. No one said anything to him. No one approached him about repentance. No one approached him in, in love or, or concern. But the only people that really approached him were people that were pointing the finger at him. And that were coming with malice and hatred and how could you, how in the world could you do this? A man lived three more years after, after all that, ended up leaving the church and never got restored to the church. All because people that approached him didn't come with the spirit of restoration. It is very important that you, as a believer, as one who is under the spirit of God, when you are lovingly approaching your sinning brother or sister, that you approach them with the spirit of gentle restoration. Your goal is to see them restored to the body of Christ fully. In fact, that word that Paul uses here, those who are spiritual should restore him. That word for restore is used several times throughout the New Testament, but particularly one time in Matthew chapter 4, where it talks about, it uses the word, and it talks about the mending of nets. Fishermen mending their nets. You can't fish with broken nets, can you? <laughs> You can't do it, right? But if the net is broken, instead of going out and buying a new net every time, shrimpers will tell you this, I'm sure. Not a shrimper, but I'm sure shrimpers will tell you this. Fishermen, I'm sure, will tell you this, that you don't go buy new nets every time you go out. You mend the ones that you have. If you get a hole in your net, you mend it. Why do you mend it? To make it useful to fishing again. The same thing with a sinning and an erring brother or sister. We go to them with the spirit of restoration. Why? 
so that they will be mended, so they'll be useful to the kingdom once again. Right? This is the spirit in which, in which we must approach our sinning and erring, brothers and sisters. I think of Jesus. <laughs> the compassion and the gentle restoration and the gentle restoring nature of Jesus. Matthew chapter 12, verse, verse 20, quotes a prophecy in Isaiah about the Messiah. And it says this, A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick, wick he will not quench. Aren't you glad that when you're broken, God doesn't just smite you and destroy you right there on the spot? Aren't you glad that when your flame starts to kind of flicker and die out a little bit, that God just doesn't go, I'm done with them, and extinguishes them? Aren't you glad? Instead, Christ does the mending work of a broken, broken reed and mends it back together to make it useful again. Instead of extinguishing out a smoldering wick, he gently breathes breath and sets it aflame again. And he has passed that ministry on to us. Every one of us who see our, our sinning brothers and sisters, our brothers and sisters who are caught in a sin, he passes that ministry of reconciliation on to us to where we can gently mend the broken reed the bruised reed, where we can gently light a flame again, the smoldering wick. Restoration happens when three things happen. This is, this, if you're taking notes, this is probably three things to write down, okay? Restoration happens when we do this. There's probably more than this, but this is three I could think of. Restoration happens when we help people see their sin. In that particular example of that man that committed adultery, I actually had a meeting with, uh, I wasn't a part of the church, but I had a meeting with this pastor. And I knew what was going on. I was close to his pastor and everything like that. And I met with his pastor. And I said, um, have you, you know this is going on, right? And I knew he knew. And he said, yeah, I do. We talked about it for a little bit. And I said, you know you have to confront him about his sin, right? You, you know you have to approach him about this, right? And he said, well, I already have. And I said, oh, what happened? What, what, what? He said, well, I stopped by his office. Remember this guy was in ministry. He said, I stopped by his office and I looked at him and I told him, I'm here for you if you need to talk. And I said, wait, that, <laughs> that, wasn't, that wasn't approaching him about his sin, that was just, you just saying, I'm here if you need to talk. You see, when we approach a brother or sister about our sin, we have to bring up the sin. <laughs> you see, because some people, they slip into, that, into that, that cycle of sin and they become so callous. Even Christians can sometimes become so callous to their sin that sometimes we have to bring it back up and say, hey, look, this is the issue. And sometimes we have to, to, to bring Scripture before them and say, hey, look, this is what the Lord says about this. You realize the weight of your sin, right? You realize the detriment, that you realize the pit that you're in, right? You have to make sure that they understand that they're actually in the pit of sin, that they're in the mud, and they, they're in the, in the miry mud that you have to get them out. Second thing is this. 
is that you have to help them confess their sin. And sometimes that's first and foremost to the Lord. If that involves praying with them, pray with them. And that involves, you know, confessing to the person they sinned against, help them. Help them get to that point. Third thing is this, restoration happens when we help them repent of their sin. And this is, can be a long, drawn-out process. Because repentance re- involves a turning away from sin. It involves a changing of the mind. It involves a different mindset about this sin. But it also involves, and it may involve from you, being an accountability person that they can go to to, 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 to be open and honest about this particular sin. So it may involve work, but it's worth it. Because you've pulled your brother and sister out of sin. And the last manner of confrontation was that we approach the sinning believer with humility, not pride. Look at verses 3 to 5. It says this, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. See, we are good at comparing ourselves to other people, aren't we? We are really good at comparing ourselves to other people. At least I'm not like this, this person down the street. And this is exactly what Paul is warning against here. He says, look, you get, you get full of pride. You get puffed up. You start thinking that, that even when you're approaching the, your brother that, and your sister that's in sin, and you start thinking that somehow that you're better than them, you need to think again. Because at this point, when you start to compare yourself to them in their sin, you're boasting in their sin. You're boasting that I'm good because I don't take part in that particular sin, but this person's bad because they take part in this particular sin. And Paul says here in, in, in verse 3, he says, if you think that you're something, if somebody thinks that there's something, that he's high and mighty when he's actually nothing, he just deceives himself. Instead, Paul says here in verse 4, he says, let each one look inward to himself. Don't let the standard of your righteousness be your brother and sister. Let the standard of your righteousness be Christ. And you're going to come up short every time when you measure yourself to Christ. And you're going to see your own proclivity to sin when you measure yourself to Christ. This is the way that we have to confront people. This is the way that we have to approach people. See, this is our great struggle, right? Because sometimes in the world we'll say this. The world will say this. This is how we differ from the world. The world will say one or two things if you're in sin. They will say, it's okay. It's not that bad. It's okay. It's not that bad. Which is a lie because sin is bad, right? Or they will say this. They will say, no, either, either it's not that bad or they'll just write you off completely and have nothing to do with you. And this is how the church is different. You see, because sometimes our flesh, we want to, if somebody's caught in sin, we don't want to intervene. We don't want to interject because we say, I don't want to be caught up in their drama. I don't want to be caught up in their drama. I don't want, I don't want to be caught up in the middle of that. They made their bed. They should lie in it. I mean, they did it to themselves. But Paul's saying that's not right. Paul's saying don't, don't have that attitude. Reach out. Pull them out. 
I grew up in the country. Plenty of times I've gotten animals unstuck from the creek, cows unstuck from the creek, tractors unstuck from ditches, lawnmowers unstuck from yards. If you see a piece of equipment or an animal stuck, you go in, you help them get out, and you're going to get muddy. And this is what Paul says. Sometimes living the church life of approaching people about their sin, sometimes it's a little dirty. Sometimes it's a little messy. But it's something that has to be done. It's something that has to be done for them. So what does this mean for us? As a church, what does this mean for us? I'm glad Paul uses this example of sin because this is kind of the toughest burden that we bear that is kind of hard to confront people about, right? Paul uses this example and he says, look, you need to help your brother and sister get up under that and lift it up. Get them through it. Help them. Don't throw them out to the wolves. Don't dismiss them. Help them get under it. Now, there's a, there's a proper pattern of church discipline, right? Where if the, if, the, if the believer continues, believer continues to not repent of sin, there's a point in which we confront them about that as a church. But for the most part, we help them and do as much as we can to try to save them from the mud and the mire and the clay. So two things that this means for us. Number one, this means that we have to get really good. You have to get really good. I have to get really good about developing a skill to notice when someone is bearing a burden. We have to get good at that skill of notice when someone is bearing a burden. Whether that's a burden from sin or whether that's a burden from something else. Number two, we have to devote ourselves to whatever we can do to lighten that burden. We as children of God, as church members, should be burden lighteners. We should lighten. We should seek to light. Man, if we lived like that, if we looked around our congregation, our church, and said, how can I lighten this, this, this person's burden? I want to lighten somebody's burden. I want to help them. I want to hold them up. I want to hold, do my part, hold the weight. Maybe you're in here. Maybe you're carrying a heavy burden. Notice that there's no condemnation, but that Christ wants to lighten your load and that Christ wants to restore you. I want to encourage you that you pray with one of us, that you come find one of us and talk to us about that. Maybe there's someone in here who's, who knows somebody who's carrying a heavy burden of sin. You're like, I know I should approach them, but just How? I'm going to pray for you. I want to pray for you that God gives you the strength and that you can live by the Spirit and approach them and restore them to the fold. And I want you to ask the question, how are you lightening the load? I'm going to pray in just a second. But I just, want, I just don't, want to, I don't want to blow this over. I, I want, I want to, to understand that God has given us each other for a reason. You don't have to walk through your burden, and you don't have to walk through your, even your sin, the transgressions. You don't have to walk through it alone. He's given us each other here. But sometimes you have to go to people and you have to let them know. 
And God wants to free you of that. And he wants to do a work in your life. And I'm praying that he does do a work in your life. So think about that as we dismiss here in a second. Let's pray.